This podcast is brought to you by Prime Sport, official travel partner of the Seahawks. All right, guys, uh, our final episode, I think, for the year. Uh, we'll maybe reconvene a bit over the summer of the Softy Hawk Blogger podcast. I know how much people out there rely on this, so we apologize that Brian and I won't be there for you past today, at least not for a couple of months. But this is not, Brian, the uh, the conversation we were hoping to have. I think both of us felt pretty good uh, about the Atlanta game last weekend. I think uh, both of us felt really good after that opening drive, which the Seahawks just jammed the ball right down the Falcons' throat and go up 7 nothing, But then the wheels fell off the bus from there, man. Uh, let's first of all just kind of talk about what we saw last week and why we're sitting here talking about the offseason and not talking about a game with the Packers at home. Uh, it's it's uh, it's kind of multifaceted, right? Like, I mean, if you look just at that game uh, that, that they played this past weekend, can't really pin that on you know the offensive line being the number one issue. I think if anything, the number one thing is Atlanta's offense was just significantly better than any other unit on the field. Period, um, and they were able to victimize the the Seahawks defense, and there really wasn't much of an answer for it. Um, so I think that was the primary reason why you know the, the score was what it was. But, you know, you, you, you rewind a little bit and you go back to things like the Arizona game and, and other games that the team dropped this year. Um, and even maybe, you know, some of the injuries and things that affected the defense, uh, and it, it does come back to the offensive line. You know, that, that is what ultimately did the Seahawks in this year. It was the number one concern that we all had going into the season. And yeah. um, there were some peaks and valleys, but ultimately it ended up being the uh, – the thing that cost him. Well, there's no doubt, and we all saw this coming over the offseason. Uh, some of us, like yourself, tried to be, I think, a bit more optimistic about it. And kinda, <laughs> let's let's find out that they really aren't very good before we believe they aren't very good. But the bottom line is they weren't very good. And I guess even going back to the game on Saturday, which, man, that game feels like five years ago now. It's weird. Um, you run the ball uh, great on the first drive. Thomas Rawls carries the ball six times on the first drive. And then gets it five times the rest of the way. And you can talk, hey, the game was out of control. The Falcons are up two scores in the third quarter, whatever. But I don't know, man. I just felt like they should have maybe stuck with that a bit longer. Uh, I'm not one to be real critical of Daryl Bevel. Uh, and I'm watching plays where Atlanta's got nine, ten guys in the box and they're daring the Hawks to throw and they still can't do it in that situation. But I, I, I thought after watching that first drive that we were about to see a repeat of what we saw the week before on the ground. And it never happened. Yeah, I think I think we all did. I mean, that was <laughs> if there's one nice thing out of um, out of that game, it's that we don't have to spend the off season saying, "God dang it, the Seahawks once again can't start a playoff game well." Yeah, right. Um, and they're fighting from behind the whole time. I mean, they came out and they had, you know. They had the opportunity to take control of that game. It could have easily been 17-7, 21-7. You know, um, Russell missed a wide open Doug Baldwin for a touchdown on that second drive. They settled for a field yeah. goal. You're talking about the one to the um, corner to Doug? Yep. Did you see yep. where Jimmy Graham was on that play? I did not. Where go, was he? Go back and watch that play again. Because Jimmy Graham had single coverage and had beaten his guy by three steps to the goal line and was wide open for an easy touchdown on that play. <sighs> Yeah, and I mean, you know, Russell missed Doug later on a play that would have been a touchdown. I mean, there are definitely some some plays you wish you had back. But in any, any event, I mean, the team was was in position to take control of that game, and then, uh, you know, penalty here, uh, uh, stepped foot there, and and things just 
totally flipped. Yeah. And uh, they just they did not have enough of a margin of error to make up for that kind of mistake. Well, and you wonder if a Fetty hadn't gotten hurt, you know, would they have been right. able to at least get the punt off there from their own goal line and, and not give up the two points? And, you know, look, the, uh, the, the Kevin Pierre-Lewis penalty, which I thought was the right call. I'm not complaining about Absolutely. the call. But Absolutely. But to go back and say that, well, that was that was the play that completely swung the game Atlanta's favor. It could have swung the game in Seattle's favor because Devin Hester took the ball to the Falcon 7, which as you said, you would have been in great position to go up 17-7 to there, uh, but you had 40 minutes left to go in the game. How in the world can you allow a penalty like that to decide the outcome with 40 minutes to go? Well, it, it comes back to just the margin of error, and they didn't have it. I mean, this this team was not so significantly better than their opponents this year that they could, um, you know, have those kinds of mistakes happen and overcome them. And honestly, Dave, even if even if the Seahawks go up seventeen seven there, yeah. I'm not entirely convinced that the Falcons don't win that game anyway. Oh, I agree. Um, I, mean, I let's agree. Be, let's be real honest. But you'd rather I be think... up seventeen to seven than not. <laughs> yeah, right. I think we can agree on that. So, uh, you know, I want to be really. You know, I think it's it's good to be honest in our assessment of the team, and I think the Falcons. You know, again, I, in a lot of cases, people talk who's the best team. In a lot of cases, the strongest, most elite unit you know, offense, defense, whatever, for a specific team that's on the field ends up being the the one that wins. And that's often what ends up being, you know, the Seahawks defense in 2013 was the best single unit in the entire NFL. Right. It was better than any offense. It was better than any other defense. The Falcons offense this year is the same way. And so I, I think that the Seahawks, they absolutely should have scored more points. I think this could have been a closer game. Um, Seahawks could have won. But I think if you play this game in the same setting, in the same situation, 100 times, I think the Falcons probably win 80 times out of 100. Yeah, that's that's probably fair. Um, I I guess just going back to your point about, you know, you're not convinced the Hawks win if they're up 17-7. I'm not either, but whatever those chances were, they were better than being up (laughs) 10-9 after the safety. (laughs) Okay, so, I mean, mean, that that penalty – I mean, it just killed him. It was huge. It killed him in regards to getting some momentum on their end, but they had plenty of time to overcome it. The uh, the Risotiambo safety, and then I thought really what was disturbing and maybe most disappointing about the entire day was the 99-yard drive the Seahawks defense Uh, gave up at the end of the first half. And I, I get that the Falcons are really good, and they do that a lot. They go on long drives like that a lot. But, it man, it's hard to envision... Any offense against a defense that includes Cliff Averill, Michael Bennett, and Frank Clark, Bobby Wagner, K.J. Wright, Cam Chancellor, Richard Sherman, giving up a 99-yard drive to anybody and that team not facing one-third down the entire drive. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And if you really, I mean, if you look at that game, it just makes it very clear. Like, I, I, I understand and support you know, everyone who's been critical of Michael Bennett's reaction with uh, Bill Wixie after the game. I even know Bill and I know what he went through. And I, I, I understand all of that. But the point remains, it was not about lack of pass rush. I, I know that the, this pass rush could have been better, but the secondary was just incapable of stopping that um, Falcons offense, even for, you know, a few seconds. 
And going into this offseason, you know, it's pretty clear that the number one need for this team, everyone's going to say offensive line. I don't think that's what it is. I think the number one need is cornerback and potentially safety um, before we even start talking about offensive line. Okay. Well, uh, I would disagree with that. And we can well, talk about talk. Yeah. Well, I mean, for me, there's two things. Number one, I think Deshaun Shedd is a better player than people think. And I think Deshaun Shedd was playing his best football at the end of the year. I thought the game he had against the Lions may have been his best game of the year, to be honest with you. When, when, when he went out and they had to go to DeAndre Elliott uh, to play alongside Richard Sherman with Jeremy Lane in the nickel package, to me the bigger issue is Jeremy Lane versus Deshaun Shedd. Everybody was talking about Jeremy Lane like he was some savior when he came back off the broken arm from the Super Bowl a couple years ago. Uh, and for as much nickel as they play, they need three corners on this team, maybe even four that can play in case guys get banged up. And I felt like at the most this year they had two. So, so, so what's the disagreement? <laughs> I think we're saying the same thing. Well, I'm just talking about um, the cornerback position uh, uh, just to kind of piggyback on what you were saying. But my, my, my biggest need, it's, it's obvious, man. I mean, what did we just talk about 10 minutes ago to start this thing? We thought the offensive line was going to stink over the summer, and they stunk. All right? I mean, look, you, you are talking about, in my opinion, what I'm looking for, Brian, and you, you tell me if you disagree, is a top half of the NFL left tackle and a top half of the NFL right tackle. And if you're telling me that John Schneider and Pete Carroll are going to take a basketball player and a tight end from Penn State and convert both those guys into top half of the NFL players at their position, uh, I think that's way too much to ask. Yeah, well, so so there's two things there. There's one, what it, what do we think, and and you know what do we think objectively makes sense, yeah. and then and you what know what think? is realistically going right. to happen. Right. We might not; those might not do be the same thing. And in this case, number one, yes, the offensive line needs to improve. I I absolutely do buy the the the, the statement that. You know, one of the things that improves the line more than anything else is continuity and experience. Yeah. That's just a, a reality with that specific position group. Okay. And so they would get better by staying together and adding new and different people isn't just an upgrade. That can be that can be you know turbulent as well. So I, I don't think that's a sure bet. Two, we absolutely do not want to add more rookie offensive linemen into the mix. We don't need another year of developing a player. So that leaves you with veteran options. There's not a ton. There are few. And it's really a question of whether the Seahawks would go out and get one. I would like to see them add one veteran tackle and, and, and a decent one, not a Bradley Sowell, not a Jamarcus Webb, a starting quality tackle. I don't care which side of the line it is. Um, we'll see if they do that. Um, but realistically, I think you're looking at you know, more likely than not, the same five guys coming into next year. Okay, and I would agree with that last statement because I think that's what the Seahawks want to do. Uh, and I think they believe what you believe, that continuity is the biggest thing. It trumps drafting somebody. It may even trump signing somebody in free agency. But I'm here to tell you that if you're relying on continuity, you better damn well rely on continuity with the right guys, okay? Mm -hmm. Because I can give you five guys for five years, but they're all going to stink. And that's my question is how, how good are these guys? 
How good is George Fant? What's his ceiling? How talented is George Fant? I mean, I'm watching him get whipped near the end zone on, on Saturday. I'm watching Gary Gilliam miss an assignment that almost gets Russell killed during that game on Saturday. So, look, continuity is great. You know, people had this argument, Brian. I'm not trying to make a comparison here, but when Tyrone Willingham was the coach at Washington, there were people out there that would say, let's not fire him because you can't keep changing coaches. Well, if you don't have the right guy, then who yep. cares about continuity? Do yep. they have yep. the right guy at left tackle and the right guy at right tackle? And if they don't, then you can flush your continuity down the toilet, in my opinion. So I'll give you a confidence score for me. Uh, you know, I think George Fant, my confidence that he can become what we need at left tackle. I don't, I'm not sure we need a top half. We never had a top half. Well, maybe a top half left tackle with, with Okung at some yeah. time. Yeah. We never had a top half right tackle. I mean, Breno was fine, but he was never great. So uh, can can they be can they be what we need? I would say George Fant. My confidence is maybe a six out of ten okay. that he could he could become what we need. All right. And my confidence in Gary Gilliam is probably honestly roughly the same. You know, um, maybe a little bit less, but but roughly the same. So I don't think that it's out of the question. I don't think that w- we know that they're not going to be what we need. Um, I think Jermaine Effetti, honestly, of all of them. It was most concerning to me, um, you know, in terms of this is a guy that's played that position for you know his whole life. He was actually moved inside from a tackle, so it should have been easier for him. He's supposed to be a smart player. The amount of assignment mistakes he made, um, you know, that, that one's concerning to me. But maybe maybe he's the next James Carpenter, who who looked a lot like that his first year and, mm. and, and eventually started getting it. Well, you know what? My, my confidence in Fant would be higher than Gary Gilliam because we haven't seen Fant really stink yet for three or four years. I mean, there's a great yeah. unknown. Yeah. There's an unknown commodity with George Fant. I mean, this is what, year three, year four? Is that right for Gary Gilliam? Next year, this this was this next year will be year three as a as an offensive as a, lineman. As lineman, right? Yeah. And you know, look, I mean, maybe next year's the year that he pops. Um, but I think that the assignment errors and the physical mistakes, I'm, I'm much more willing to give George Fant a pass on those because the guy hasn't played football since he was picking his nose in junior high. Uh, <laughs> Gary Gilliam has you know, been doing it longer than, than Fant has. And I don't know, man. I, I don't really have a lot of confidence in either one of them. Uh, I think at their best, they're yeah. both just guys. And, and you know, maybe yeah. the George Fant experiment will be the, the one-in-a-hundred thing that pops and they turn a basketball player into a above-average left tackle but uh i just think you got to find replacements there at least competition and i mean competition with guys that you feel comfortable playing not just guys to come into camp and and give those guys a push right and that's that's why i do like if you can add one veteran tackle to that mix yeah and you know someone that is really a, a a legitimate starting quality player then what you get is real competition at the tackle position you know, you you can force you know one of them potentially to to, to not be able to keep that spot, and and they will have lost it to a a, a good player. So, yeah, I buy that. I, I do think they need to upgrade there. I'm just telling you, when I look at this team, and I, I guess specifically when I look at the draft, um, I see a draft that's full of just like brimming with cornerback talent and and some safety talent. And I look at the Seahawks secondary, and it's really been two, three years since they've been a dominant secondary the way they used to be. Yeah. And and I see it as the corner like the two other corner positions other than Richard Sherman just have not been as good as they need. I, I agree with you, Deshaun Shed's okay. Um but he's 
got an ACL. We don't know when he's going to yeah. be back. Yeah, no doubt. So I, no I doubt. think you you got to go out and get two corners most likely. And I, I you know this idea that they might lose a second round pick. I can't tell you oh. how much of a killer that would be for this franchise if they lose a second round pick. Well, it'd be it'd be idiotic. And on their part, well, stupid for sure. But I mean, you're looking. At, you look at these drafts and, and the people that are available. You could be talking about getting a guy like Kevin King yep. or Buda Baker yep. in the second round. Yep. That's that's the type of players that are available there. Those guys could start for you for the next five years. Well, so, oh God. I mean, do we want to get into all this stuff with with Sherman and Pete? Because it's just. There's no explanation for what he did on Monday uh, when he went on radio and talked about Sherman having an MCL. There's just none. Uh, There is simply zero reason for him to even bring that up. Number one, if it's accurate, you're going to piss off the NFL. Number two, if you're looking to drum up some sympathy for Sherman to try and explain the way the way he behaved during the year. I don't know about you, but once I heard that, I didn't go to bed thinking, you know what? Sherman went after Richard, went after Bevel, went after the media, but I, I forgive him for all that because now I found out the guy was banged up. I mean, that's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there there is absolutely no defense for for the the logic of what Pete Carroll did. There is defense for the humanity of what Pete Carroll oh, did. Oh, sure. Right? It I was mean, all well intended, no doubt. No I, doubt. I, I think I think we've seen that from Pete time and again. And it's one of the things I love about having him as our coach is that he's got his heart's in the right place. I think his values are in the right place. He wants to do right by people. Um but he also, you know, his ability to translate that sometimes into a, a logical yeah. set of decisions um, and <laughs> actions isn't always great. And well, we've seen that where, and this is one of them. I mean, there's just no reason for him to say what he did. He knows he made a mistake. And now we just have to hope the NFL doesn't treat the Seahawks differently than other people, like the the Colts, who you know Andrew Luck had broken ribs last year and they didn't tell anybody. Yeah, but come happened, on now, you know, like, come on now. I love you, I love you like a brother, and we're both Seahawks fans here. But you know the big difference between the Hawks and Colts. You know what it is. What is it? It's the what? repeat offender status. That's exactly what it is. Repeat of what? They've not done this before. They've crossed the NFL three times already. Now you can uh, say that's, that's, that's a different bullshit. Uh, what do you mean it's bullshit? Yeah. That's bullshit because it should. <laughs> if the NFL is grading you on if you do anything wrong that bothers us, we're going to call you a repeat offender. The, the way this should be judged is: is this something that they've made a mistake doing before or not? Well, but Brian, they've been pushing. Brian, they already have yeah. the fifth round draft pick they lost for the OTA mix-up last year. And why was that okay. though? That was because it was the third time of the same offense. Okay, this so, is totally different. So it now they do with it. So now they take this. And they just give them a pass, or do they say, hey, we got this on top of the fight that we had a couple years ago, the minicamp problem, the OTA problem. Clearly, you guys aren't getting the message as far as the rules that we set up that we expect you to operate by. And obviously, this all falls into one umbrella. I understand that. But the NFL looks at Pete Carroll as a repeat offender. Yeah, that that's I'm sticking with my bullshit comment. Like that would be like saying someone gets caught for PEDs, and then when they get a personal foul in the game, they should get a 30 yard penalty instead of 15. Completely different issues. What? So the one thing has nothing to do with the other. Well, but that's so not a, that's not a good analogy at all. 
That's not because because, not? because you got because this is crossing the NFL and violating the rules set up by the league office in New York City. A personal foul or a penalty in a basketball game is a game day in the course of action. Officials on the court can handle it type of thing. PEDs is going straight to the commissioner's office, and that's where all this stuff ends up going to the commissioner's okay, office. I'll give you another one then. PEDs. To substance abuse, two totally different tracks of punishment based off of what drug you took because they're classified as different things. You don't get penalized double on the other one when you start in the first. They're they're, they're independent. And so you and I can go back and forth on this, but as far as I'm concerned, you know, the Seahawks justly got in trouble on the OTA stuff because they've been a repeat offender doing the same thing and you're going to get an increasing fine or repercussion for doing it. If this is the first time that they've ever made this mistake doing it on on uh, the injuries it has nothing to do there's no connection with oh my gosh they did something in OTAs now they're also doing injury reports different like well yeah but, I mean again, oranges. well okay well I, I just I don't agree okay I, I think the NFL uh, expects their teams to follow rules that are set up by the league and the Hawks for whatever reason have been violating those rules uh, let's hope you're right that they separate them and they don't come down hard on the Hawks but whether we like it or not this whole thing could have been avoided if Pete Carroll would have just kept his mouth shut <laughs> All of well, it. We can agree on okay, that. Okay, no doubt about it. So, and you know what? I mean, look, first of all, that's a lot of editing I have to do now to bleep out the, no, uh, the BS thought, bombs I there. I thought we, we, could, we could say whatever we want on the podcast. Well, we got kids listening, all right? You know, all right, Isaac all right. is listening. You want to hear Isaac to hear his father talk like you that? Should, you know what Isaac says. God's sakes. So, <laughs> the, the, the offensive line is an issue. We, we both agree on that. The secondary needs some help. We both agree on that. I'll tell you where else I think they need to find somebody is a running back. Um... When Thomas mm. Rawls is healthy, great, yeah. awesome. But Thomas yeah. Rawls has had two major injuries now in two years with the broken ankle last year, the fibula this year. Uh, he and hasn't. CJ Procise uh, is not built to be an every down right. back. Mm-hmm. I don't think they have an every down back on this football team right now that uh, you really feel great about. Do you? No, I mean, I, I, no doubt they need to add at the running back position. Um, Thomas Rawls, as much as I'm uh, fond of him as a player, I do not. I mean, forget the times that he got injured. What about the times where he finishes the game and Pete Carroll says, yeah, he's, you know, he really felt that game. <laughs> he says that every week when he makes it through the game. So, uh, you know, that does not bode well that, that, you know, it's such a significant issue for him to have 20 carries in a game that he needs the whole week off every time to recover. He's a young back. Right. Um, and, and, you know, so, yeah, they have to add to that position. I'm not as worried about that position because, you know, they do have Rawls and Procise and Alex Collins. Um, and we can kind of see what, what happens there. And, and I think a year with their physical trainers, Procise hopefully, hopefully can add some bulk and add a little bit that's going to let him be more durable. Um, and, and hopefully the same. Thomas Rawls didn't really get an offseason to really do training. He had to rehab the whole offseason. So hopefully those guys come yeah. back better and ready to go. But I don't think we can count on it. What we really need is Russell Wilson to get his ass in shape yeah. and and – 
passing the ball with some efficiency. And, you know, he needs to grow as a quarterback, and, and that can't be lost on the team. And it still feels like it is a little bit. Well, Pete Carroll actually on Monday talked about, I, I asked Pete specifically, what's the next step for him? And he kind of went out of his way to remind everybody that Rodgers and Ryan and Brady and Breeze and yada, yada, yada are all in years 8, 9, 10, 11, while Russell's in year 5. There's a reason why he brought that up, I think. And the reason why I brought it up is because Pete knows that Russell's not a finished product. He knows that we mm-hmm. see Russell not being a finished product and wants us to realize that there still is room to grow. I mean, Hugh's been talking about Russell having to work on throwing with anticipation, for example, uh, all yep. year long. I, 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 I go back and watch the tape of the Falcon game. I saw multiple plays where there were receivers open or about to come yep. open, and Russell wasn't getting them the football. You mentioned the Baldwin throw. Jimmy's open on that play. He's got Baldwin open downfield by 9 or yep. 10 yards, it looked like. Yep. He's got Curse coming across the middle with nobody in front of him at the 40. Doesn't even look his way. He's got Doug Baldwin uh, out to the corner to the left on the play where George Fant got beaten. Instead of just popping the ball to, uh, to a Doug, Russell takes off and runs. And obviously the running game is a huge part of it. Look, I mean, he had 79 yards rushing after 10 games this year. He had 385 after 10 in 2015. So obviously that part of his game was a non-factor for the majority of the year. I still think, though, that Russell Wilson has to become even a better pocket passer. And we thought he was going down that road in the second half this year, but for whatever reason, injuries, lack of faith in the offensive line, et cetera, just never happened. Yeah, and and I don't he, he can he can't he can only control what he can control, right? We know that we hear them say that all the time. So I don't expect Russell Wilson to come in here and make the offensive line better. I do expect him to come in here and um, be able to to understand a check to hot hot reads and to be able to make accurate throws that he can make. We're not I'm not talking about he should hit every downfield throw. Nobody does, and he hits as many of them as anybody. I mean, he's very good downfield in general. But he was not himself this year, and it's not just the injuries. He was missing open players without pressure. He was missing open players when he was healthy. And, you know, I'm not talking about even not seeing them. I'm talking about inaccurate throws. So that's mechanics. That's repetition. Um, you know, this guy's a no-time-to-sleep kind of guy. You know, he's, he's increasingly, um, you know, had a lot of other things going on in his life. And, and I'm not one that says, hey, he got married, and that's why this all ha-. You know, screw that. The guy deserves to have a life, but I just want to know that he and the team are doing everything they can to make him the best quarterback he yeah. can be yeah. and not just feeding him and everyone else this line that, you know, he's a franchise quarterback, he's great, you know, and he just needs to get healthy because it's not just that. It's more than that. Well, I would go back and listen to Pete's thoughts on Monday because I think he made it pretty clear that they know he's got stuff to work on. Uh, and that was actually refreshing to hear him say that, to be totally honest with you, on uh, on Monday. All right, any more uh, any more arguments you want to get into before we wrap it up here? <laughs> I mean, just going back oh, to the man. Pete thing for a second and you saying they should separate the OTAs, uh, 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 the issue from the injury report issue. Brian, it, 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 the, the only thing I can come up with for you just to kind of convince you that you're wrong yeah. and that I'm right. <laughs> I want to hear it. I it, hear it. It, it all goes into their file. All of it. All of it goes into their file, per se, quote unquote. And if you have an employee who maybe the guy's using bad language at work and then maybe one day he's late and then maybe one day he's not showing up with the right uniform, those may be separate offenses. But in the end, all this goes into the Seahawks file. That's the point. Yeah, and I, my point is, is not much of a, as much an argument with you. That may be the way the NFL does it. 
it's if, if my argument is that's not the way it should be because you know it, it is not an organizational issue like that overall they're just looking for ways to to mess with the NFL you know that that is not what's clearly going on these are these are very discrete issues i think they should be dealt with you know independently and if there's a connection fine but you know <laughs> It's it's frustrating to me that that the Seahawks. I don't know if you saw the comments from Bradley Sowell. I did. Um, I did. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I'm not a conspiracy theorist in that way, although it's tempting to be. But you know, the Seahawks should absolutely be treated with each independent offense as its own issue and and, and handle it appropriately. And, and Pete potentially saying something that may or may not have been true about a player to help you know public perception of that player should not result in a second round pick being lost period it just shouldn't and 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 that's just absurd and that's the nfl doing things for the wrong reason well let's see if it is a second rounder but basically what i'm hearing from you is that me being late to my show and me saying on the air those are two different issues two different transgressions and they should be treated as such is that right well, you're not an NFL team. <laughs> you know, you're right. I'm not. It. And I never will be. I got no shot. All right, man. All right, Softy. Thanks for a great season. Well, I think it's going to hopefully, uh, hopefully we got some better stuff next year to talk yeah, about. No doubt. You know what, though? It is, it, it, it's, it, it's not a bad situation to be in when we're disappointed in making the divisional round five years in a row. Yeah, I know. I Things know. have changed, and, haven't uh, they, my friend? We sh- we sh- it's amazing, and we should have another five years in front of us, uh, you know, God willing, with with Russell's health and others. So we we just gotta gotta plug a few holes and and uh, hope Schneider has the magic touch again. In the words of New York Vinny, if God's willing and the creek don't rise, we'll be okay. All right, man. We'll talk soon. See you, buddy. All right, later, man. All right, Brian Nemhauser. Check him out at hawkblogger.com and on Twitter at hawkblogger. Talk to you soon.